1: Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. I don't get. Mackey and Judd. It's very, it's odd at times. On 1500 ESPN. Uh, observation number one, the Vikings are really bleeping good. Really bleeping good. And it's the number one so- seed. Solid observation. In the NFC. After the Eagles lost last night. We'll get Courtney Cronin on in about a half hour. Vikings insider from ESPN.com. Superstar Mike Morris. But Judd, every week or almost every week. We have our football observations from the weekend. A lot to get to. Let me actually start with, we'll get to college football playoffs here in a second. But before I forget, I want to get to this one. I saw this come across uh, Twitter last night being retweeted all over the place. Hopefully you haven't seen this because it'll it'll ruin the surprise. But I'm going to give you a quarterback statistics, okay? Like an equivalent of a full season quarterback uh, statistics here. Uh Uh-huh. 442 of 640, so what's that? Like 70% completions. Mm -hmm. 5,661 yards, Mm -hmm. 81 touchdowns, and 6 interceptions. Only sacked 6 times. Also 151 carries for 785 yards. Yeah. That's a a full season equivalent of what? What do you think that is? Oh, the carries throws me off. I don't know. Russell Wilson, fourth quarter numbers this season, prorated (laughs) to a full season. Incredible. So if you took what Russell Wilson has done in the fourth quarter of whether they played 12 games so far this year Mm -hmm. and then drew those numbers out to a full season's worth of attempts, he'd have 81 touchdowns. I think that includes rushing touchdowns. So 81 touchdowns. Six interceptions.
2: Do you, do you guys agree with me that he is he is what I I would consider to uh, to be a modern day quarterback slash point guard? He's like a point guard. Like you watch him operate that offense and the way he runs around. Like it's beyond scrambling because he keeps he often keeps the play alive to get back into the pocket, then to sort of make a pass.
1: I think he reminds me more of a really good quarterback, but well, but sure. the dis- totally agree. His jump <laughs> shot isn't there.
2: The distribution, kind of Rubio like. Listen, you two <laughs> smart Alex. The distribution <laughs> of this guy, his ability to move around to get back in the pocket and make throws, it goes beyond the norm. It's well beyond. It's it, Keenum is really good at scrambling, and Keenum can move and and. We shouldn't take for granted Keenum's ability to keep plays alive, but when you watch Russell Wilson play, it's that tenfold to me.
3: I was going to ask you this in questions. I'll ask it now. Russell Wilson, best quarterback with his feet since.
1: Wow. Like the way he, he'll run backwards for 15 yards and and then then off to the side. Yeah, throw it away. You know, Steve Young was really good. That was the the first thing. One that came to my head. Yeah. And Frant- even Frant- Steve Hargenton. Young was more
2: of a tuck it and go kind of guy. Yeah, I was going to say who who's the last quarterback Tarkington who bought it who bought himself this much time because Johnny Manziel in college? <laughs> yeah, maybe. It is, but but I was watching that last night. His offensive line remains for the most part awful. Oh, they're trash. I mean, they're they're terrible. And that offense is viable solely because of him. Come on. I submit to both of you that I think the college football playoff people got it exactly right. I think the college football playoff people, we can and you can debate all you want, which is fun and fantastic. But this is when they got rid of all of the um the BCS computer models and this and this was spit out by the Apple computer, and then we got the Dell and this spit that out, and this is what we have to do. The, I, Ma-
1: the Macintosh was pumping out early nineties college football things. Exactly. Yeah.
2: I think what happened on Sunday is exactly what we should, as college football fans, so if you're a Buckeyes fan, you're mad. If you're a Badgers fan, perhaps you're mad. Yeah. But I think as college football fans, I think this system, it, as long as you're going to stay at four teams, this to me gets it right because it does one thing. It gets a bunch of people that know football together in one room to say this. What are the Who are the best four teams who can provide the most entertaining possible games? I like it.
1: The system got it completely wrong, but not for the reason that you might think. I'll sit here all day and hear debates Alabama over Ohio State, but in the end, there were more than four teams that have a say in winning the national championship this year. There's been a couple years here, and this is only the fourth year of the college football playoff, where you know only, only two or three teams realistically have a chance to win the national championship. Mm-hmm. I think more than four teams can make a strong case that they could win the national championship. Sure. So no matter what... The, the system got it wrong. The committee didn't. The system got it wrong because they're not accounting for all the teams that could win the national championship. USC, the way they're playing lately, could conceivably win the national championship. I mean, they'd be underdogs to Clemson mm-hmm. or Oklahoma or even Alabama. Mm-hmm. But Bama, Ohio State, I'm not outraged. Uh, both of them have a case. Both would have gotten jobbed having been left out. It happens that... Ohio State is the one. And, and here's here's some reasons why, I think. I'm trying to put myself in the mind of somebody on that committee. Um, Ohio State got smoked by Iowa. Smoked. Yep. So if you're a committee member, you're looking up and down Alabama's last 10 years, maybe, even. And, and I'm not saying that, like, there's only one reason why Ohio State uh, missed out in Alabama. But does Alabama lose to to Iowa, period? No. Does Alabama lose to Iowa by 30 points ever? No, of course not. Never in the the Nick Saban era would that ever happen. So that matters. Alabama's only loss came to Auburn, which was number two heading into the weekend before they lost to uh, to Georgia. And I would add this too: this matters, even if it doesn't officially factor into the things that you're supposed to consider. It's been three years since a Big Ten team scored a point in a college football playoff game. Michigan State got shut out two years ago. Ohio State got got shut out last year. Yes. So if you don't have the cross-conference games to reference, if you're just trying to compare Big Ten credentials to SEC credentials, the Big Ten can't score a point in one of these games. Ideally, it should be eight
2: teams. But if if the college football playoff people could come out of that room and tell you the truth, it would be this. We picked what we thought would be the best possible teams and games. And that's it. And I'm fine with that. The only thing is I would like to thank Ohio State for one thing. Thank you for knocking off Bucky. Because I did not want to see... And this is this has nothing to do with not liking Wisconsin. I respect that program. But I had no interest in seeing that team go into a college football playoff game and getting absolutely annihilated. And if they had won that game <laughs> on Saturday, they would have gone. And they would have gotten absolutely smoked. And as a fan of college football who likes to sit down and watch those games, that's not what I want. I want a committee that discriminates and says... We don't care what anyone thinks, what's going to give television, who's paying a lot for this, the best possible matchups. They did it, and until you go to eight teams, which they should eventually, I don't I'm think, fine with it. So this.
1: I agree that like it's possible those things are considered. I don't think they sat in that room and said, all right, Alabama, Ohio State, which one of these teams is going to do a better TV rating for us? I don't think that no, was part said, of the committee's they discussion. Said what,
2: they said, what, is, what would be the better game? And when they looked at, at Ohio I State... I disagree.
1: I, think, they said, I with, think the committee said, Alabama's a better team.
2: Yes they, yes, they said they're a better team and they provide a better game because of that. What okay. I'm saying is you only look to me at the teams and the matchups. You don't care about being fair. That's what I like about the system. It takes fair out. Fair is has no business being near college sports. College sports is corrupt. College sports is the devil. And college sports can be great fun. <laughs> and it's a lot more fun when you have a committee that says all we care about right now is giving the viewer the best experience yeah. possible.
1: The other argument that I've heard too. So I think too, we agree actually. Yeah. No, we were. yeah, we I, I I we're splitting hairs a little. Like I, I I don't think there's all these conspiracies. I just think Alabama Alabama's the better team. Alabama's a better right, Alabama's not going to get beat by by Iowa. You're right. But speakers. for people who say well Alabama didn't even win their own division. Like forget about the fact that they didn't win their conference. They didn't win their own division. Right. Didn't, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't Ohio State? They did not. N- they, they also lost their division or didn't win their division last year. Yes. And made it to the. So it's pretty, it, it, it's, it's kind of funny that Ohio State fans are arguing after taking advantage of the same circumstances Absolutely. last year. Well, Alabama didn't even win there. Well, right. you didn't either last year. Correct. So, uh, yeah, Alabama's not going to get shut out in one of these college football playoff games. The Big Ten has the Mm -hmm. last two years, Mm -hmm. and I think that factors in to some degree.
2: And for the most part, if you tell me that I can see a Belichick or Saban team in a playoff, I'm going to take them. I'm going to take them because
1: they're probably going to be damn good. Urban Meyer, too, though. This is why I'm I'm not outraged at all because Ohio State can win the championship just like Alabama can win the championship. Oklahoma can win it. Clemson can win it. USC would be an underdog but USC could conceivably win the championship and that's why this thing needs to expand it to eight, be teams 8 teams at some point yeah
2: yes yeah the the more that we can do uh, to dilute or get rid of the stupid balls the better so I'm all for expanding it. What yeah. I'm what I'm saying is, at least if we're gonna go with four, I like the idea of people sitting down and deciding on the games, as opposed to be trying to be as fair as possible by incorporating yeah. data and information that's going to spit out a team, and you're gonna be like, "What? I don't
1: understand that." I would love it uh, sometime this week. Maybe we do this tomorrow. If if there were an eight team playoff, what should that look? Excuse me. What should that look like? And who would your eight teams be? Like, how would you set it up? And then. Who would your 8 teams be this year? Sure. Let's do that. Maybe t- on tomorrow's show because you know what? We got to talk 10 and 2 Vikings. We got to get back to our uh, Minnesota Vikings team that's number 1 in the NFC right now based on the fourth tiebreaker with the Eagles. And after surveying the entire landscape for the first 3 months of the regular season, what is your feeling as a fan going into the stretch run here, going into the playoffs? Does it feel similar to 2009? Does it feel similar at all to any of the past Viking seasons of your lifetime 651 646 615 1500 and Courtney Cronin Vikings Insider from ESPN.com in 20 minutes Mackie and Judd are back put down
0: the sports
2: page and listen on 1500 ESPN Woo! Time to go to a hockey game tonight Hey Parisi Grail back Let's grind those greedy goals boys How about Dumbo What about Suter
1: Crosser! Collabor!
2: Let's go! Woo! Fighting time!
3: Who came here to save the team? Bruce came here to save the team. Who's not afraid to
1: curse and scream? Bruce ain't afraid to curse and scream. Curse and scream, save the team. Must be Boudreau. Must be Boudreau. Must be Boudreau. Bruce Boudreau. Shape them up, Double B. How
2: about some Herbies for these boys? Bag skate them if you need to.
3: Checking! Who's got a face that's round and red? Bruce has a face that's
1: round and red! Who's lost the hair upon his head? Bruce lost the hair upon his head! Hair on head, round and red! Curse and scream, save the team! Must be Boudreau. Must be Boudreau. Must be Boudreau. Bruce Boudreau. We don't miss Mike, yo! We going to that game tonight, Mackie? Not a chance in the world! Put down the ice, boys, go for it, yeah. get in I'm there, get a the corner. I'm actually more of a basketball guy. You, you want to fight about that? No, no, no. Come on, drop the gloves. <laughs>
3: Who will call his own team out? Bruce will call his own team out. Who doesn't like when players pout?
1: Bruce doesn't like when players pout. Players pout, call them out. Hair on head, round and red. Curse and scream, save the team. Must be Boudreaux, must be Boudreaux. Must be Boudreaux, Bruce Boudreau. Yeah, songs by the Ulog. Almost forgot about that one. I love that season. Uh, Songs by the Ulog, Volume Three will be making an appearance starting next week on the Mackie and Judge show. How Very could excited. you forget about that one?
2: I don't
3: know, but that's just that's some good stuff. Of the two albums, that is probably the one song we've got the fewest complaints about, which is the <laughs> best thing we can say about yeah. it. It's fantastic.
1: That's the song that probably sticks in my head the most, too, of all the songs by the U-Log, where just randomly I'll be walking down the street and... That'll come yeah. to you? Yep.
2: Tracy Clays
3: <laughs> is coming to town. Four checking! Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, Tracy Clay's, Tracy Clays was an coming to town was, was one that that rang around my skull for good. about six months. It was pretty
1: good. Uh, you brought up earlier in the show on these Vikings versatility. And I, I love the basketball comparison you brought up there. I wasn't so hot on the Russell Wilson point guard thing. I don't see I that. I don't know why. That's but a good one. I, but I do love the Vikings compared to like a positionless basketball team. Mm-hmm. These LeBron James Heat and Cavs teams. Well, LeBron can play all five positions. They've got guys all over the, they can go small, they can go big. The Warriors, they can go small, they can go big. Uh they don't have a center and a power forward and a point guard like John Stockton who isn't going to do anything right. else but pass and um you've got you've got guys who can play two or three spots. You've got, you know, even the Wolves like Jimmy Butler can guard a point guard if he needs to. He can guard a, you know, a, a more of a like a small forward, wing type player if he needs to. The Vikings have turned into, I think one of the most versatile teams in the NFL coming from being one of the most rigid teams in the NFL during the Adrian Peterson era. Mm-hmm. We're going to run the ball 25, 30 times a game and Peterson's going to carry 300 times out of eye formation or, you know, single setback and he's a bell cow mm-hmm. and he's not going to do anything else. Really. He's not going to run routes. If he does, it's mostly just going to be a little wheel route. Um, and that's it. And, Our defense is going to stop the run. We have the Williams wall, and they will build a wall in front of your running game, right? Like, that was the Vikings for a long time, and they won games doing it that way. Mm -hmm. But now they have running backs, even second and third string guys, now that Dalvin Cook is out, who can run routes, who can catch passes, who can block. Mm -hmm. That touchdown reception by Jarek McKinnon yesterday, you think Adrian Peterson runs that route, catches that pass? They can do that. No, they I can,
2: think he objects to that
1: route. Right. They can split those guys can out do that? in the slot. They can split them out wide. Yep. Offensive linemen who are mobile, they got rid of Alex Boone. They said, let's put three centers in the middle of our offensive line. Let's go right guard is a center. Left guard is a center when everyone's healthy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Joe Berger, former center. Nick Easton, center. And Pat Alfline center. So all of them have the offensive lineman IQ of a center, mm-hmm. the mobility of you know of of someone who who's not Alex Boone who can just get out there and block for a Stefan Diggs. Wide receivers who can catch screens. Stefan Diggs cut a screen yesterday. Uh like not just a little, you know, throw like a bubble screen, but an actual set it up screen. He moves over. Um they, they have wide receivers who can take handoffs, who can go deep, and a defense full of versatility at defensive line, at linebacker. It's kinda like the Chicago Cubs, if I could bring another cross-sport comparison into the mix from a couple of years ago when Chris Bryant played four positions that year and Javier Baez could play six positions and they had relievers who could come in in the fifth inning or the ninth inning or go one out or six outs. That's what the Vikings are. They can beat you a million different ways and they can they can give you a million different looks offensively and defensively,
2: which means which uh, the, the important thing with that whole contention though is that your coaching staff has to be willing to trust players and to and to use players. In positions where they might where the faith might not be there at first. Defensively, I'll give you I'll give you one, two, three, at least four, if not five, e- examples. Defensive line. Think about the amount of guys who can who can line up inside or outside. That's a key. Uh linebacker, Anthony Barr. When Anthony Barr is going good, which he was on Sunday, mm-hmm. think about the amount of space he covers. He's sort of a hybrid between alignment at times. Um, he's got the athletic ability to certainly play his position, but he also can can cover guys at times. His versatility outstanding. Linval Joseph can tackle guys eight yards down the field. He has no business being that quick and that big. Uh, Harrison Smith, you tell me, besides defensive line, you tell me a position that you would absolutely say I can't use him at. He can cover guys. Mm-hmm. He can mix things up. He can – guys like Harrison Smith – and Anthony Barr, to me, are nightmares. Because from snap to snap, you don't know where they're going to be. Mm-hmm. You Now, the important thing is, does the coach have enough faith in his system and in those players to mix things up? And the answer here is yes. And that is where, that's why you can't take coaching out of this equation, because while the players are very good... It starts with the coach being willing to be, as they like to say, multiple in using guys at different places. Uh,
1: this was Mike Zimmer yesterday on stopping Julio Jones.
0: You know, Xavier did a great, great job, but our all our guys in the back end today, I thought, did a great job. Uh, you know, Trey and, um, you know, the safeties, you know, we, you know, we very rarely will just say, hey, you know, you got him. And, um, you know, it's just the way way we felt like we had to play to win this football game. Uh, we know how great of a player he is and how talented he is. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's important that we try to take away some of the opponent's strengths each week.
2: Now, the interesting thing about that is Xavier Rhodes is not playing, in my opinion, anywhere near full health right now. Do you remember he hurt the calf against the Rams? He came out of that game. He played... On Thanksgiving Day, four days after, and the Lions went at him. And I contend the only reason why Detroit consistently tried uh, to go at, at a guy who rarely gets thrown at in that case was because he had been hurt the previous Sunday. Yesterday, there was one they showed on the island. at one point he left the game and sort of collapsed. Yeah. and they were they were looking at him, and there were times early in that game where he you could tell he, he had some type of hitch. Uh, on, on the purple podcast after the game, Collar suggested that he might sit him against Carolina. I would not do that. But that being said, I do think that Rhodes is and, and he's still great, but I do think that he is playing hurt.
1: Yeah, it's uh but it's nice that now, he's still good now instead of previous years where well if Rhodes is hurt or if you gotta take him out of the game, you're pretty much screwed. Mackenzie Alexander is is showing some flashes. Terrence Newman, so it's I don't know, there's just there's not enough praise to go around here. And it is. it goes back to kind of what Dave was saying in the 9 o'clock hour where you wake up this morning as a Vikings fan because you saw the Eagles get pounded, tough test on the road, and the Vikings continued to plow down the path they're going down. And it, it just feels like, yep, there's no resisting it. Other than the history of heartbreak, there's no resisting it. This team can win the Super Bowl. And um, we have to decide now, are we all in? Are we opening ourselves back up for the same old potential heartache? Or will this time around be different? Because they can win the Super Bowl.
3: Did you ever print purple and gold, it's happening t-shirts? Or they only in twins colors?
1: We had them, but they... So we had all of the sports in like 2011 or 12. We did have all of the, the options. But the Vikings haven't been good enough ever to warrant actually going with the campaign. We, we launched this station... I mean. <laughs> Yeah, they, we we could think about it. They're in the basement. It's a total jinx, me? and people are going to get mad. But uh, no, we'd have to print new ones. I think All I right. think they're gone. But <laughs> this is the first time this station launched as a, as the ESPN brand in April of 2010. Mm-hmm. So after the 2009 magical Brett Favre run, mm-hmm. yes. So in the eight years that we've been 1500 ESPN, the closest the Vikings have come to being like truly relevant in the NFC picture. Is two years ago. I don't count the 2012 season where,
3: yeah, they AP were. AP carried
1: them. Yeah, AP went for yeah. 2,000 yards, but nobody ever thought that they were going to win a game at Lambeau Field in the playoffs. Like it just. Now, two years ago, it felt okay, it's a great defense, but you had really young Teddy Bridgewater. The expectations were pretty much zero once they got to the playoffs. So, this is the first time in eight years at this radio station where they've had a great run. Super Bowl caliber, and then meaningful expectations when January starts.
2: Yeah, because the 2000... Now, now I will say this. When Walsh lined up for the field goal attempt in 15, you did think to yourself, oh, my God, they might actually do this. But right. you're right. But you never but, thought but Super never, Bowl. But 2009 is the last time, well, I mean, heck, as as someone who's followed this team, 98 and 2009, right? Th- those are the last two times where you felt like this during the course of a year. I can't think of a comparable. I can't think of anything close. 2009, they went on the run, and you started to say to yourself, this is a really good team. Mm -hmm. But even when they went to the uh, 41 Donut NFC title game, was that 2001? Is that right now? 2000 2000 season, 2001? Yes. Mm -hmm. I never felt that good about that team.
3: Well, even as Walsh was lining up for the field goal against Seattle, you were thinking, "Yeah, we're going to win this." Oh, we got to yeah. go to Carolina. Crap. Yeah, uh, that's a problem. problem.
2: Yeah, but I can't. Yeah, this is the first time in a long time. In fact, that that's what made five and zero so frustrating last year. At five and zero, I said to myself, "Oh my gosh!" You bought in. You're this, right. I bought and I bought in hook, line, and sinker. Right, and that's what made it so maddening. Was was I said to myself, nine weeks in, this is going to be unbelievably fun. Yeah. And then, of course, they crashed. Yeah.
1: So yeah, let's get Courtney. So Courtney Cronin is new covering the Vikings this year. She comes with no expectations. You're she's correct. covered the Golden State Warriors, SEC football. Maybe she's the lucky charm. Could be. could be. Coming from Dub Nation, I mean, could be. Eat those dubs. Eat those dubs. <laughs> you see Joe Flacco eating, I eating dubs yeah, yesterday. I just, that's yeah, that was disturbing. So let's get her thoughts disturbing. on this Vikings team from ESPN.com, Maggie and Judd. Phil Mackey, Judd Zogang. A
3: lot of people consider that the second greatest radio team in Minnesota history.
1: Mackey and Judd. Behind <laughs> Joe
3: and Pat. <laughs> 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 On 1500 ESPN. Kyle Rudolph, top of the screen. Two touchdowns last week for him. Even rolling that way. Floating an end zone.
0: There's McKinnon in front of his hometown fans. Doesn't matter how, it uh, matters how many. And. You know, we got a we got a good football team that fought today. I think it was a good, really good team win. Um, you know, converting
1: in the red zone, for, you know, for touchdowns, I think is huge. Our defense holding them to field goals.
0: Um, you know, it was a great, uh, great team win.
1: And uh, the Vikings, based on the 97th tiebreaker in the NFC, have the one seed after the Eagles lost last night. For now, we're down to we're basically down to like uh, the the alphabetizing of the middle names of the linebackers for a tiebreaker now. But uh, yeah, the, uh, Courtney Cronin covers the Vikings for ESPN.com, and this is this is your first year covering this team, and I think you're going to sense now, if you haven't already, a very strong tug-of-war with fans going back and forth between, oh my god, this is awesome, this team is amazing, and oh wait, we have like 55 years of heartbreak reference points where there is no happy ending, uh, so this should be an interesting four to eight week stretch here, Courtney
0: yeah i mean i grew up a cubs fan so i get it oh there, there it is know. Yeah, there it is. um the pause that a lot of people have i mean i've got some i wrote an article yesterday morning just simply laying out that they are they would be the first uh super bowl team the first team in in history to play a super bowl on their home turf and uh i got a lot of uh freak out in my mention and i understand it look the 98 season Thing that was not that long ago, and I absolutely get where fans are coming from. But this is something to be relished right now. I mean, they went they went down to Atlanta. No one said it was going to be easy, and they came away with arguably their you know biggest statement win of the season. And now you take a look at uh, where Philadelphia is at, and you know the, the stretch that they have next weekend going to Los Angeles, and where the Vikings have a Carolina team that lost yesterday. So I mean, I think it's you know definitely the picture is pretty clear right now but i understand wanting to you know pump the brakes a little bit
2: so as a cubs fan tell me this if this team if this team did pay the entire thing off and and finally won a title uh, for for the first time in franchise history what's that feeling like when when as a cubs fan or right now a vikings fan you are so used to something going wrong
0: i mean i think you just you always expect calamity uh you know i remember going to game five last year. I didn't think they were going to win. I mean, the the Cubs, that is. We um, it was the first World Series win at Wrigley Field, I believe, in 70 years, since um, since the 40s. And I just remember being like, wait a second. Is this, is this a real thing? Like, you know, they were down, they came back, and then they, you know, obviously it's a seven-game series, so I think there's a lot more, you know, at stake in terms of, you know, the up and the down and the roller coaster of that whole thing. But, yeah, I mean – it doesn't feel real for a while. I know that, not much. And that's why I think that, you know, as excited, I saw a lot of fans in the Atlanta airport today, a lot that were on my flight, um, you know, kind of overhearing them talking. There is still a little bit of trepidation that we know what this team is, what, we know some of the collapses that have happened uh, down the stretch so far. And, you know, I don't think it's the regular season that really is tripping people up. Um, in terms of where that worry comes from, I think it's whatever that game could be in the first round by, which is looks like where they're headed right now, and potentially that, yeah, they don't want to be a team that's fourteen and two and you know has a first round first round loss. Uh,
1: when you look at the NFC landscape and taking into account what the Vikings did on the road yesterday and the Eagles, who have had a much weaker schedule to this point than the Vikings, tripping up in Seattle. Uh, I don't care about like tiebreakers and records. Just surveying the entire landscape. Do you think the Vikings are the bar right now in the NFC?
0: Yeah, I think that's safe to say. I mean, you take a look at what the Saints have done too. I mean, they, you know, after a pretty rough start to the season, to where they're at, I think that they're certainly within that conversation. But eight games, an eight-game eight win streak is very hard to do. It doesn't happen all that often. And I think where the Vikings have achieved this every single time there's been an issue they've found some sort of answer for it. Mike Zimmer, I mean, we, we talked about it on the purple podcast the other day. I mean, there's not one thing that he hasn't had a solution ready for. Um, I think it stems from the 2016 season to where they know what happened down the stretch there in the final eight of 11 games to, you know, have those solutions in place and, you know, things have, things have been able to work that way. And, you know, their their dominance on the road is something to really be taken into consideration when you're looking at the overall landscape and obviously that that plays into you know, that will play into where they're seated you know, in terms of strength of victory and all, all the things like that that, you know, as as you mentioned, I mean the tiebreakers, there's a million of them. <laughs> at some point you know, they're gonna get down to the very nitty gritty. But um in serving their road dominance, that to me stands out among any other team in the NFC and just how good they are because they've gone into some very tough places and pulled away from wins.
2: Yep, and that win uh, to, to me what was so impressive, Courtney, was this. That win was a blueprint for what you would need to do in a playoff game away from home, right? That's a tough yeah, I mean,
0: it's, it's gritty. Yeah, that's, it's that's, that's escaping with a win. I know that a lot of people don't like that word, but that is what that is. That is. It was, nobody said that win was going to be easy to come by. Nobody said that they were going to be able to go down there. I mean, I think some people probably expected a shootout just because of the third down conversion rate yep. off in the last three games for the Falcons. I mean, something nuts. It's almost like seventy percent. Um, and on paper, I mean, you take these defenses. You know, for me. In, in in looking at this game ahead of time, I didn't think it was going to be nearly as high scoring simply because of whose defenses are. Um, Atlanta still has a very good defense, but I think that you know if you want to throw the word elite around, you know the Vikings came up with it in another category yesterday. We knew they were good in third down, number one uh, third third down stopping team in the NFL, and what they did against you know the league's best. I mean, it's just another measuring stick.
2: Mm-hmm. And and through the entire course of that game too. A good quarterback with a, an offense that is very good never looked comfortable. And that's in their building. So so to me, if you do that here, like like with Goff and the Rams, okay, that was impressive. Mm-hmm. But that that's a home game, and you've got your fans, and it's noisy, and it's hard offensively f- for them to come in possibly and operate. I get all that, okay? But when you take that act on the road and Matt Ryan spends the entire day <laughs> looking thrown off, to me, that's... That was incredibly impressive about that win.
0: Yeah, and I mean, the, I think that drops in penalties has been the storyline for Atlanta in this season. I mean, it's been, you know, kind of make or break for them in several wins, but the fact that those were, you know, at the hand of the Vikings yesterday, and you saw two, I mean, the two really heads-up plays that I think were, you know, if you want to no, nominate two individual defensive plays was the McKenzie Alexander PBU on, um, I believe, 3rd and ten. Uh, there late in the first quarter, and then Anderson Dejo uh, you know, coming over the top uh, to knock that pass away from Julio Jones. I mean, there's there's some really really strong performances uh, that you can highlight from yesterday. And I mean, to me, this is this is a way that they they're able to see where they're at headed into Carolina, which is another statement game. And then you know they should be able to clean up down the stretch. I mean, Matt Ryan did not look comfortable at all yesterday, and that's without being sacked. Uh, first time since the Baltimore game that they didn't register a sack, but they got a lot of pressure on him. I think that the pass rush, um, while it wasn't as strong as you saw in other games, it still did its job. And I think the front four really did set up uh, Xavier Rhodes and what he was able to do, and obviously the help that he had in bracket coverage from Harrison Smith.
1: Yeah, this is uh, this is just the, the, the way the Vikings beat you and the way that they they, they put you to sleep if you're a high-powered offense – it travels well, you know, it's not, it, it's not like some of these other Vikings teams where, well, you got to be at home and it's mostly offensive mm-hmm. driven. And if you go on the road or play outside, or if it's windy, it might be tough. I mean, what they do to you travels well. So even if you, if you have to go to Philadelphia in the playoffs or, you know, whatever it may be, if you face a red hot Russell Wilson, um, it it seems like the formula is one that transfers in a lot of different ways, Courtney.
0: Yeah, and I think that just plays to the fact that they're, they are the most balanced uh, team offensively and defensively. It didn't – and that's the thing. It didn't look like it completely. When you're when – at first look after that game's over, it didn't completely look like it until you dive deeper into realizing how good they were on third down on both sides of the ball. But this is the only team in the NFL that's top five in total offense and total defense. That says a lot. And that that's what's traveling. I mean, we knew going into this year that the defense was going to be good and potentially going to be going to be what kept them in games. And I think that more times than not, you can point to that, but this offense has also really held its own. And you know, there's something to be said about how good Case Keenum has continued to play. And I mean, he's, he's checked every single box. Like it's it's becoming an expectation at this point that he plays well, because Just you know his whole track record this season and in these last eight straight wins. I mean he has not had a hiccup. I mean there have been a few throws here and there that have been questioned, but that was really like three or four weeks ago. However long um, week ten was, I lost track at this point. Um, That's that's kind of quieted itself. I mean the last you know since the Rams game, um, he's been I think on a different level um, than he was even at the earlier part of the season when he's been getting wins.
1: Yeah. Uh, Hey, real quick, I know you you used to cover college football, and um, and you've been a college football junkie in your past. What do you think of Alabama getting in over Ohio State, or just in general the the selection process as as it is the last few years?
0: I I think the selection process is flawed. I think that I would love to see uh, the runner ups there um, play in a game potentially. I mean, this week I was talking with somebody about this yesterday. Does the Army Navy game? You know, yeah, it's cool that it's that it's like still in existence, but does it really have a purpose of being like the one game that we have? You know, this coming Saturday, why not have a play-in game in the format that goes, you know, the week after the conference championships? Because I do think that um, an Ohio State team, you know, obviously they had their, their loss to Alabama, but you know, you look back at what Nick Saban said a few years ago that a team that doesn't win its conference championships should not be playing in the college football playoffs, So, I mean, there is a line there, and I know I read something yesterday where he apparently lobbied to the uh, committee to get themselves in, and, hey, politics works if you're Nick Saban, but I would like to see the process cleaned up a little bit because I think we could make it so much better if there was essentially that playing game that happened the week after the championship.
1: Yeah. And for that, like for, for, for Nick Saban to make that argument, Ohio State didn't win their own division last year, and they made it, they got exactly. smoked and shut out. And Big Ten teams haven't scored a point in the playoff in three years now. But uh, like, yeah, if I they mean, made it, it eight, it's eight teams, Big
0: ten teams, it really has. I mean, take a look at the rest of the um, the rest of the bowls for the Big Ten. I mean, Ohio State not getting in knocked everybody down a rank, and I do think that that is unfair, given the fact that they won their conference championship um, and, and should have some sort of something other than just playing in you know the a New Year's Six bowl. I mean, they 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 did what they had to do. I mean. Was was the whole thing with like getting you know, getting away from the BCS model and going into this supposed to like make it a little bit more fair and a little bit more objective? I, d- I don't know if I see the objectivity in keeping a team like Ohio State out. Granted, you know you do see the argument that what who their losses were to. Yeah,
1: so I know, it'll be it'll be I, I, it's fun. I think it's it's headed toward eight teams at, at some point. But
0: uh, I would love to, I would love to see that. I think that that's what um, sport needs. I mean. But then you open the door for eight teams. Does it become ten? Does it become twelve? I mean, hey, like what's what's the harm in that? At least the conversation of that, because this is you know the sport people love, and, and it extends the season even longer. So I mean, I don't think that there's much harm in, in extending it to eight and seeing where it goes from there. It
1: should, it should be sixty-four.
2: It makes more money too, Courtney. Stony Brook, <laughs> sixteen-team playoff will make a lot <laughs> of money in twenty-five
0: years. Well, yep. Oh, man. You can, you can make me the commissioner of the college football playoff. <laughs> oh, <laughs>
1: Judd would love that. You yeah. got it. Uh, all right, Courtney, good stuff. Follow Courtney Cronin. She covers the Vikings, ESPN.com, uh, at Courtney R. Cronin on Twitter. We'll catch up soon. Bye, Courtney. See ya. All
0: right,
1: take care. Yeah, Vikings just rolling.
2: <laughs> to, to her point, qu- quickly, it, Case Keenum completed um, all 13 of his passes, second half. He was 15 for his last 15. Two months ago, that would have been a huge story today. Two months ago, we would have talked about, oh, my God, he completed his last 15 passes. Today, we haven't brought it up on the show until now.
1: Yeah, he's, uh, in fact, let's go through, now that we have you know, another another weekend of NFL football here and another weekend of of resume for Keenum, where he falls in some key categories among other quarterbacks in the NFL. And the superstar Mike Morris will join us in the noon hour. It's Mackie and Judd. The Mackie and Judd Show rolls on. And-
3: the main event
1: on 1500 espn the
3: 1500 espn sports fantasy auction returns next tuesday week from tomorrow on december 12th it's presented in part by able chiropractic and tcl listen all day from 9 a.m. until 6 to bid on great experiences with all money raised, benefiting Courage Kenny Rehabilitation Institute during the day. You'll be able to bid and purchase items such as well, how about four tickets to a Wolves game in the TCL Theater Box with Mackie and Judd plus a 65-inch TCL TV. You could also bid on a little dinner date with the Garage Logic crew and Greg Ooh. Holcomb plus a Greg Holcomb print of that very Ooh. dinner head to 1500esbn.com keyword courage to see everything up for auction
1: wait so there uh, there's going to be like a like a painting or a photo or a print of the group at dinner yes Like mid-dinner, or is it going to be more of a pose thing, or do we know?
3: I would imagine you'd probably get a photo taken of the group just at dinner, and then Greg will uh, slap that on a canvas, as only he can Mm. do, and you'll get to hang that up in your uh, man cave or wherever you'd like. That'd be pretty cool.
1: That would be be awesome, yeah. I know, I think we're working on one off of a topic that came up on last week's show, but I don't know where that stands yet, which would be really cool, and it would involve drinking. Which is all, yeah. Which, which is, is great to cool begin. With. That's all we need. Yeah. Yes. That's I mean, your
3: prize. You get to go drinking.
1: Yes. Period. Well like that's just it. Uh, this Don't happened. Right now. This happened yesterday. They got a second down and goal from the six. Keenum looking,
3: lofting. It's a Rudolph touchdown.
1: Kyle Rudolph touchdown reception. Case Keenum with his uh, two touchdowns yesterday through the air. Sixteen on the season. Only five interceptions. And I have a list of the top passer ratings, so just traditional old-school passer ratings yep. in the NFL right now, active quarterbacks only. All due respect to Aaron Rodgers and Deshaun Watson, All right. but active quarterbacks only. Tom Brady, number one. That guy's 40, and he's just oh, it's, insane. Yeah. Uh, Tom Brady, number one. Yep. Alex Smith is back up to number two with his four-touchdown, <laughs> no-interception performance and a losing effort yesterday. Mm-hmm. Drew Brees, Carson Wentz. Kirk Cousins and number six Case Keenum, ninety eight point six, and a career high sixty seven point five completion percentage. Yep, this is a guy for the first few years in his career when he didn't exactly have Adam Thielen to to catch passes and when he didn't have Pat Shermer when everything football the ultimate. You really need everything. It's a symbiotic you know eleven man relationship and a coach and a coordinator. Heading into this season, Case Keenum's career high completion percentage was 60 percent with the Rams last year. Mm-hmm. That's I mean to to go from 60 percent to like 68 percent if you round up is an unbelievable jump. He deserves credit. Adam Thielen sitting over there with the yellow Mickey Mouse gloves. Stefan Diggs. It's just been an un and he's already surpassed his previous career single season high mm-hmm. in yardage by like 500 yards touchdowns by seven touchdowns uh passer rating by over 10 points to this point mm-hmm. it's a it's a breakout season
2: yeah and it, like i said he uh he completed <laughs> so the last 15 passes yesterday cuz he completed two at the end of the first half and then all 13 in the second half and uh and i keep going back to the fact that the way he plays leads me down the path of is he is he going to make a mistake that's going to sabotage you but yet in his defense since he threw the two picks in the second half in Washington he has now played I believe it's in 3 games and I did the math yesterday he has thrown 98 passes since then without a pick. So he's been he's been fine. And yesterday I thought he got off to a little bit first series of a shaky start that first pass was not great it was broken up and I thought it was dangerous but after that he settled down and was absolutely fine. And I do I do think and this is not a knock on him whatsoever, but I do think that he definitely benefits from having a coordinator who can make adjustments on the fly, and he benefits from the fact that nobody really ever asks him to say you've got to do the whole thing yourself. What they say is, what can we do to put you in the best position to succeed?
1: This team is too good in every facet to ever have it land solely on the quarterback. You know, their games were like Aaron Rodgers because the rest of his team is so bad. Sometimes the last few years, where hey man, we need we're gonna need a hail mary out of you to keep this game going. Mm-hmm. Hey, you're literally gonna have to wing the ball 70 yards in the air to a tight end in the end zone if you want to stay alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's on it's on you. Sorry, the other 52 guys aren't up to it. This team is so good in every other facet and so well coached. Even if certain other areas break down, it's never gonna be. Solely on Case Keenum sure. to make it happen. Hey, you're going to have a bunch of scrub receivers and a bad defense and no offensive line. Go make it happen. The, like that's not in the cards.
2: The only thing this team is not built for, what at all, and that's fine. Is is their defense is so good. If you if you have a game where your defense just goes south, you're in huge trouble. So I mean this this offense is not built to come back from fourteen or more, but if you're down by a touchdown or three, it certainly can.
1: But I don't think I don't look at this offense and say it's impossible to come back from down fourteen nothing. When the Gopher football team gets down fourteen nothing, it is impossible I'm saying, for them to win. I'm saying it's, this team is 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 top potent, five in
2: a lot of offensive categories. Potential playoff environment though. You go in there first and foremost saying defensively you're confident that you can, if not shut them down, you can slow them a lot. Uh, Atlanta Atlanta's offense looked shaken for for most of that game. They did. Matt Ryan looked like a guy who was not sure where people were going to be or where pressure was going to come from. Really
1: the only offense that's looked remotely comfortable is probably Washington, and the, and the Vikings won that game. I mean, even Pittsburgh didn't look supremely comfortable. Antonio Brown didn't have a big game in Week 2. That
2: first Rams drive looked great, and after that, it was never the same again. Yeah.
1: So Mackie and Judd, three hours in, another hour to go. Mostly wall-to-wall Vikings, for sure wall-to-wall football today. Superstar Mike Morris, fresh off a Vikings vent line yesterday. If you want to find that on demand, you can subscribe to it wherever you would find podcasts or 1500 espncom There's a Purple Podcast with Judd Zolgad, Matthew Collar on our website. We'll come back, and we can open up the vent lines for the next half hour or so. If you have thoughts or opinions on the 10 and 2 Vikings and where this thing might be headed.